Hey guys, Dominic Neshi here with Peter Esho, co-founders of Wealthy. Um, this is season three of our podcast, super excited. We've got an audience today, so we're not used to that, it's awesome. Um, mate, what are we talking about today? We're basically picking up where we left off uh, at the end of season two, and so much has happened, right? Heaps, heaps. We're in a new office, we've built a green wall, we've got some signage coming up, we're putting a whole heap of other furnishings, we've it's got getting a large better. team. It's getting better. So it's, um, we're actually very excited to talk to you about a couple of things. One is through the podcast, we want you to meet all the new team members. Two, there's a heap of new government policies that are changing, one, the political landscape, the economic landscape, and what's going to happen in the real estate market. And um, we've just got a whole heap of new segments as well. So how do you want to kick this off? Well, I think what we've seen since really the beginning and the middle of the year has been a continuation of Australia's very strong investment landscape. I don't want to say I told you so, but when COVID hit, we sat down and we put at the time some very bold predictions out Mm. to market. Um, We backed them up again in March, April, and when we finished off season two, we basically articulated why we believe that the strong foundation in Australia will continue from an investment perspective. And we're now going into 2021, arguably with a lot of momentum. It's hilarious. I remember sitting in now the old podcasting studio, trying to get people to allay their fears. There was news saying 20% drops, 30% drops, 15% price drops in the property market. We had clients that were scattering just terrified of the property market we said like listen guys not much is going to change maybe a five percent maybe a ten percent change but um our predictions came true now all of those banks all of those economists uh have jumped back into the market and said in fact over the next 12 to 24 months we should see double digit price growth um, that's a far cry from double-digit price um, declines. Yeah, it's a massive turnaround, Dom. If you take ANZ, for example, they've gone from predicting a 10% decline last year to a nineteen, uh, sorry, a 9% increase. That's a 20% swing, right, in the order of three or four months. I remember mid-year there were so many people sending me articles and saying, you know, you're saying the market's strong, but CBA's CEO has come out and said that the market could fall by up to 22%. Well, guess what? CBA CEO came out today, in fact, and the headline was CBA CEO says market has probably bottomed and is set to improve next year. And so it's not because you and I have a crystal ball, but I think it's because we stuck to fundamentals, we, we continue to help clients, listen to clients, and we've also kept a very strong eye on stock, right? And stock moves the market, and it's all about demand and supply. I think it's just also the fact that when you're on the cold face, day to day when you're getting your hands dirty, when you're talking to hundreds of different people, that's agents, developers, mortgage brokers, when you're out in with the public and you're trying to do deals, when you're working with different parties that are all related to the real estate transaction, it's a very good sense. You get a very good sense of what's actually happening. So... When we're talking to all of these different businesses and clients, you get a truer sense of what the demand looks like, what the developers, which is the supplier, is thinking, 
what um, the banks are thinking as a result of the mortgage brokers and they're telling us how hard it is to go and get finance. And from there, it's not a crystal ball. It's just literally a, a, a lived experience that we try to then relay to you to, so you've got better uh, information to make decisions. Um, on that, do we want to talk about stamp duty? Let's do it. We've done a little bit of research uh, today across the team in terms of what New South Wales has proposed mm. uh, from a stamp duty perspective. So New South Wales, which is the leading state in Australia, all states tend to look at what New South Wales does. They put their budget out um, this week. And even though it was a horrible budget in light of COVID, what they've done is they've opened up the door very, very obviously uh, to scrap stamp duty, which is the biggest... Um, transaction tax for real estate, um, real estate owner occupiers and investors, and there's a lot of demand. Um, there's a lot of people asking questions. Yeah, there's a lot of questions about what does this mean for me. One, as a purchaser, should I hold off? Should I wait until something actually happens? Um, and then also, what does it mean for me as a an investor and a property owner? Now. Without getting too granular into the details, because there's not a lot of details out there yet, um, what we currently understand is the government wants to um, pair back or at least give uh, both homeowners and investors the option to pay stamp duty as one big lump sum or pay it as a type of land tax over the duration or the lifetime of that, that property or that piece of real estate. Now, if we were to just break that down a little bit, and this is, again, without knowing any of the percentages are going too granular, um, what we think this actually means for investors and homeowners is it's removing a barrier to entry. Mm. That's in its simplest form, right? It's taking away one less lump sum of cash that they need to save up for. So as an investor, if I'm buying a, let's just say, $700,000 property, I'll have to put in my 10%, which is 70K. And then I may have, you know, 35,000 thereabouts in stamp duty. Now, if I don't have to put in that $35,000, um, I can get into the market much sooner. And if you have a look at the average Australian, they say they're saving $1,000 per month, you know, thereabouts, that's bringing forward their property investment to two and a half years. So what that means and what I'm interpreting from this is we're going to see a lot more people stepping into the market as a result of that barrier being removed. Yeah, it's a big boost for people looking to get into the market, people looking at transacting, moving out of one asset and into another. And I think what the state governments have realised is, you know, stamp duty is great when it's very what they call pro-cyclical. So when times are good, the governments get a lot of money, but when times are bad, they get very, very little money. And so they want to even out the, the amount of money that the government's making every single year. And so they're going to give people the option, as Dom said, whether you can stick with the current regime, pay your, um, you know, pay your stamp duty and not have to pay an annual land tax, or you don't have to pay it up front, but you will have a commitment every year. Now, we've gone through and have had a look at the discussion paper that's been put out by the state government, and there's a few interesting things that have come out. First of all, under the new regime, if you decide that I'm not going to pay my stamp duty up front and I want to opt for the, you know, the afterpay model, Mm. Uh, let's call it the afterpay of, of stamp duty. Um, there's going to be a different rate for owner-occupiers or investors. Yep. So the government will charge every year more for investors than they will for owner-occupiers. 
Um, we also know that once you elect to go into this scheme, so if you say I actually want to pay it off uh, year by year, once you decide to opt in, that asset will remain locked into that. So if you decide to sell that asset into the future, that person buying it has to opt into a property that would have um, you know, annual tax as opposed so to an upfront. That means that the person that's if, – if I've chosen to go as an annual figure, yep. when I go to resell it, that person buying it from me has to now use the same mechanism that I have. Exactly. So say you buy a property next year and, and you decide I don't want to pay it, I want to pay uh, I don't want to pay stamp duty, I don't want to pay annual land tax and, and then two years later you sell it to me. Now I have to pay, I can't decide to pay stamp duty up front. I ha- will inherit a property that's subject to regime. If I'm an investor, I'm going to pay one rate. If I'm an owner-occupier, I'll pay a different rate. So that's the way that the government is talking about it at the moment. It's not concrete. It's not final. It's a discussion paper that's out there, and we're going to put a lot more information on our knowledge base Mm. so people can tap in. I guess another thing um, to note is that there's a clause in the discussion paper that says that those who buy a property now before this comes in, um, the government may give them a choice to get a stamp duty refund and opt into the scheme later. That's interesting. So they don't want people to delay their decisions. Um, they're basically saying if we go down this road, even if you buy now before we do it, you can get a refund for your stamp duty and opt back out. Okay. So that's interesting. So it means that it really – it means that as an investor, you probably shouldn't hold off. No. You, you're Should better, the opposite. Yeah, you're better to get in now, secure the investments before – we have an influx of demand coming into the market, propping up or pushing um, further transactions. So an increase in demand, and if there's the same levels of supply or decreasing supply, um, then we're going to see an increase in property prices. I think so, Dom. And, and what I think is imagine in five years' time where you've got a property that is subject to tax every year and you've got a property that you bought in 2020 or early 2021 you paid a little bit of stamp duty up front but isn't subject to that annual. What are people going to prefer buying, the pre the pre or post? Mm. Um, I know myself, I'd rather buy an asset that I don't have an annual commitment on um, because it's just going to give me more cash flow into the future. So getting in now might actually be a smart move because if you decide to opt in, you could get the refund. And if you decide not to, then at least you'll have an asset that's better than what's coming. That's interesting. So it's kind of a bit of grandfathering there. Yeah. Um, one thing that I want to talk about, are we finished with this topic or have we got some other points? There's also a point around first home buyers. Now, obviously, first home buyers get a stamp duty concession and if they remove stamp duty, there won't be a concession there anymore. So they're talking about you know, potential ways that they could give first home buyers more. And it goes back to your point. They're just throwing so much money into the system. They're, they're, they're throwing free money. And what we know from our experience is every time governments support the market like this, prices move well that's you always talk about it there's two mechanisms that really push demand it's um the cost of capital or financing so interest rates and then policy decisions Mm. when government makes decisions to make it harder for people to buy property then you know less people step into the market so that's a decrease in demand or when they decide to make it easier and then credits more freely available and there's more uh, cash is cheaper then demand increases at the moment, we're seeing policy making it easier for people to buy and incentivizing purchases, and then interest rates are low, 
and credit is getting a little easier. So we're having two huge sort of boosts in the arm, pushing people to go back into the market and buy real estate. Yeah, I think the greatest, the greatest disappointment is people that don't use this opportunity. You know, I've been talking to my friends and family and Don, we came in and we, we chose to, to be in real estate, right? We were previously working in stocks and investment management and we didn't need to come into real estate, but we d- chose to build real estate businesses because um, we fundamentally believe that this is a great way to build wealth. And I think the biggest missed opportunities for those that are sitting on the sideline and not utilising, as Dom said, cheap interest rates, utilising the big reduction in supply that's going to have an impact on price in a couple of years what the government's throwing at people. The worst place I believe to be in is cash at this point in time. Um, As a transition, it's fine to stay in cash because you need to pay your bills and everything else, but staying in cash is not a sustainable wealth creation strategy and um, I believe there's a great window of opportunity here at the moment. And I wanted to say to all the listeners and viewers that are out there that are thinking, hey, I want to get into the market but I haven't saved enough, it often costs less than you think to go and buy real estate. Many, many times I'll sit with clients and our, our investment um, specialists will sit with clients and they'll come to the table. They may have $30,000 or something, a low deposit amount. There are many, many ways for you to get into the real estate market. Even if you haven't really got much of a deposit, even then there's still an opportunity maybe through guarantors or um, a delayed deposit scheme where you can pay 5% or get into some kind of scheme with a developer where you can pay your deposit over time. Um, That in conjunction with all the government incentives, uh, there are ways for you to get into the market. So without sounding like a dirty salesperson, uh, just, just try, reach out, see what options are available to you because I think you might surprise yourself. It's always hard, right? Like... It's always hard at the beginning, so you have to make sacrifice, but it's not as hard as you think. Exactly. So it's not easy. I think if you're walking into something and it's too easy, nothing worthwhile is, is too easy. Everything that's worthwhile requires a little bit of effort, a little bit of inconvenience, but it's not, it's not what a lot of people think it is. And, you know, we are now sub 2% interest rates. Imagine that. Like, you can go and borrow money, um, and all the bank wants in return is less than two units of effort out of 100 per year, and you can go and buy an asset that's giving you 3 or 4% with your eyes closed, basically. And so we've never had an environment like this, I believe, and we've never had an environment where governments have been throwing so much money at people. Like, I was driving into work yesterday, and I was listening to the radio that the New South Wales government is going to give people a $100 voucher to eat out. Mm, something like that. that. I'm like, man, you know, all this, there's no such thing as, there's no such thing as a free lunch and there's no such thing as free money. And this is all going to have an impact because they're more, they print this stuff and give it out to us. It's great today because we're getting the stimulus, but everything's going to go up in value. And if you don't have assets that will rise in value, you're really going to fall behind. And I believe that's a big, big travesty. And I'd hate for people that have the ability to get into the market and don't to look back at 2020 and 2021 and say, I could have, would have, should have, but I didn't. I've heard so many of those stories from older aunties, uncles, friends and relatives that should have, could have, would have, but didn't. Um, And that's the one, they're the people that have the deepest regrets. 
one thing that I want to touch on a little bit more this year and go into a bit more detail is there is unprecedented levels of spending uh, in many, many departments, but what we're seeing is also just civil works and infrastructure. There's just a crazy amount of cranes, work on roads, train stations, hospitals, shopping centres. All of this has a huge flow-on effect. And if you're paying attention to where there's concentrations of this money being spent, people's lives are fundamentally going to change in those areas. And then that's just another shot in the arm for demand in those particular areas. So they say a rising tide lifts all ships. Now, what we're talking about as far as interest rates and um, government policy is part of that rising tide. So we're going to see a big upswell in property prices generally. But there are going to be key areas that have points of difference that will um, push prices much, much faster and harder than other areas. And if you do your research or at least work with people that have done theirs and you qualify it, um, again, that's another opportunity. So prob- people are probably listening or watching to this saying, give us the list, right? Give yeah. us the answers. That's one thing we've learned in the past six months, just how hungry people are. What, what areas do we like at the moment and what's your pick out of the bunch? Uh, again, I, it, without sounding coy, I think that it's hard to say any one area because it comes down to you and your personal circumstance. The way you are as an investor is very different to me. Yeah. You know, we are probably more aggressive than the typical investor. Yeah. And then your experience level determines what you're comfortable buying. If you've got 50K, it's very different to $250,000. That's true. If you've got, if you're a first homeowner versus um, an experienced investor with millions of dollars worth of property, it's very different to say what area is best because as we've built within the wealthy model, there's yeah. different levels of sophistication, needs, tolerances, risk. Um, if I'm going to just talk very broadly, um, I think that I, I currently really like an area, reservoir, sort of that northern line in Melbourne. You can get some really good townhouse product there. I like Parramatta fringes. There's some really good suburbs in those Parramatta fringes that you can go and buy a two-bedroom apartment sub 600K so that ticks a lot of boxes for first home buyers. Um, I love house and land around this second airport because the airport is quite literally a once-in-a-lifetime investment and it's going to fundamentally change people's lives. That's the second Sydney airport. The second Sydney airport. Um, I also like commercial real estate, starter and title industrial units. Yep. I think that we talk about this quite a lot, that in an environment where interest rates are going down, you have compressed yields. So smart investors are actually looking for good quality or prime yield plays, not shitty pieces of real estate in the middle of far north Queensland that will never, ever grow. It's more better quality pieces of real estate, like proper commercial pieces, where in Sydney in particular for the past 50 years, a lot of the government has been chopping up... uh, commercially zoned land turning it to residential mm. so low supply high quality um high quality rental returns lots of different pieces out there i what think uh so one of the things i've been thinking about this year just how much australia has changed um over the past two or three years and the best analogy i heard is if you have a frog um and it's in water and that water gradually boils it doesn't feel 
Um, it doesn't feel it as much as if you take a frog out of cold water, boil the water, throw it in, it'll jump out. Mm. And I think being in this market, we've become a little bit spoiled and accustomed to just how good we have it. But if you have a look at Western Sydney, for example, it's Sydney's grown, Melbourne has grown, Canberra and even Brisbane has grown. These cities have been growing. And as they've grown, new, new cities have emerged. Like I look at Western Sydney as a different city to Sydney. It's a secondary market. And it's not just you know, part of Sydney. It's now its own thing. It's Australia's third largest economy. It's going to have its own airport. Um, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of people moving there every single year and natural demand. And, and there's a great opportunity to invest in that. You're investing in a new city, not just a part of Sydney. Yep. And Sydney itself, so the major cities are also um, beautifying. So Sydney is now a world-class city. You know, we had the Olympics and everything else 20 years ago. But today, um, we are one of the best places to live in the world. And COVID has highlighted that. And look at, you know, how bad other global cities are doing and how good we have it. And Sydney and Melbourne went through the lockdown, but now they're out and they have no cases on a daily basis. And look how good we have it. You know, we have it so good and we've got such attractive places to invest in. This is another interesting point. Um, for a long time, people were putting a big question mark on COVID and the impact it has on us, property prices, the economy, jobs, all of this. And this has really suppressed the market. And now, as the day we're recording it, they've got a number of clinical trials, I think two currently, where it's 95% effective. Mm. So when we move into an environment, and I say when, not if, that there is a vaccine and things start to normalise... Um, I really do believe we're going to see a very big shift in people's mentalities. I think we said this in 2019 coming into 20, but I really believe it's going to be the roaring 20s. We're going to see a boom like many people haven't experienced in a long time over the next sort of 24 to 36 months, but we're in the early days now. It's year zero, so make sure we get a really good start coming into 2021. Yeah, I believe. I completely agree. And I think just the price of it, all this money that's being printed doesn't come out of thin air and it's going to have a big impact on asset prices. And, you know, if anything else, if you don't have a deposit to buy a property, there's nothing stopping you from strategizing and thinking about these things because they're really important and they're going to impact your quality of life into the future. And, um, you know, when this boom does come, it's going to catch a lot of people by surprise because a lot of people out there are not expecting a boom and that's usually when booms start. You know, if you go back, even you go back to 1929, 1930s, um, you know, things were improving in the global economy and then we got hit with World War II um, and then we had the biggest boom really from after World War II up until the 70s and 80s. Um, and it's when people least expect things to go well that things go well. And I think this year has really transitioned from a tough, ugly start to what Dom's saying, that optimism going into 2021. Um, and you've got to prepare for that. You've got to strategize for that. You can't just ignore it because it's going to have a big impact. And that's not factoring in um, migration. You know, Typically, in this kind of environment, the government looks at, you know, this, this space and says, well, we're in a bit of a depression, not depression, but in a bit of a, a lull. One way that we can get out is our spending our way through it, but then also inviting in lots of highly skilled, well-paid migrants. And if, in fact, we do go down this path where, 
you know, we've got vaccines, we're going to go back to normal migrationary rates. As you said, Australia fared a lot better than the rest of the Western-speaking nations. Australia will be high priority compared to America and the UK, and we will see a larger influx, I believe, in migration again as well, and even in foreign trade. It's the best country in the world to be living. It's the best country in the world to be building a business, um, to be hiring great people, to be investing um, and to be planning for the future. And um, I think, Dom, you know, just we're very lucky also that we've got a pragmatic government, mm. a government that is very investor-friendly. Uh, if you have a look at the United States, for example, they're about to, to spend another $3 trillion in fiscal stimulus, but that's going to take their government debt to, you know, unheard of levels and they've got a big long-term problem and paying down that debt and that's why we've seen bitcoin for example rise as a cryptocurrency that's why we've seen gold rise silver rise all the all the old economy indicators of prices going up are rising bitcoin is not old economy it's a new cryptocurrency but it's basically rises when there's it's a wealth store it's a wealth store when people are scared about you know the 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 value of their currency going down but gold, for example, it's just shy of $2,000 an ounce. It's hitting record low, le- record high levels. Copper prices. You know, I look at these things because I'm, I'm trying to anticipate where real estate is going. Um, and migrants are going to want to come here because there's a stable economy, there's beautiful weather, there's great education, there's a very strong health system, which we spoke about, right, in March and April. Mm. They were the reasons why we were so optimistic. And then I, I hate to add another and then another reason, but there's all this talk about uh, responsible lending laws. Which, there's two parts to it. Like, there's an argument that, you know, if they wind back these laws, it's not a good thing because responsible lending laws were put into place to stop people from borrowing stupid amounts of money. But you can make the counter-argument that if the odd average person that's got a good job... And, and is trying to get in and they don't want to be left behind, they shouldn't be penalised by a bank that will lend to the big end of town mm. but not to your average investor. Well, right? a lot of people want to be treated like an adult. If I can go and buy cigarettes, booze and yeah. do all the crazy, have babies, I want to be able to go and get a loan. I know how much I can afford. And I don't think it's going to get back to the crazy levels of the past because we've got open banking, there's a lot more transparency so what we think we'll see is an ease in credit again. We're going to see people being able to borrow even more money. So there really is a, a, it's a melting pot of... <clears throat> yeah, hopefully less on afterpay and more on assets that rise in value, right? I'd love to see people close their afterpay accounts and, and put that money towards an asset that's going to double or triple into the future and Com- give them rent, pay, pay, put money in their pocket every single week. Um, before we finish up, yeah, what have you been doing to um, have fun, keep fit, dine out? Well, um, I haven't been drinking as many beers as our, <laughs> our audience members are. Um, <laughs> I've been trying to cut cut some of the the fats and stuff out of my diet. One good thing that you'll be happy to hear, maybe not, but I'm happy to hear that I moved to Kuji. So you know, the morning swims, gym across the road, so healthier habits. That's all been awesome. Um, time to kind of just relax. We work heaps, so just a bit of bit of white space in the diary has been really good. 
Um, mate, I know you've been working hard as well. Yeah, we've all been, you know, trying to become better versions of ourselves and, and you know, being wealthy is about having choices and, and being have, living a balanced lifestyle, not just a lifestyle where you're a slave to your money or a slave to one thing. Um, you can be, you know, me, I've invested a lot of time this year in trying to be a better dad. Have oh, you been uh, intermittent fasting, taking your kids to school, walking them? Yeah, I want to be home. healthy and active and there when they grow up and, you know, um, being present. So we're all we're all trying to be better versions of ourselves and I thought it would be cool to share that with our audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, that's part of the Wealthy Podcast this year. We're going to be inviting a lot more varied guests. We want to talk about wealth. We want to talk about wealth creation, property investments. Uh, we want to talk about the different styles or investment classes, but... Wealth for us is a bigger mindset thing. So if we can bring in more people like uh, Dr. Michaela and people mm. that can help talk about stress management and w- wealthier sort of thinking habits, um, we want to broaden the scope and, and we want you to introduce you to more people than our two hairy faces. We've got Daniel, Sam, you know, Tiffy's got Espanol. We've got Jody. We want to bring some more of our clients behind the camera. Yep. Um, so... If any of you out there have questions, you know, things that you want to talk about or be discussed on this podcast, we really do encourage you to reach out in any of our mediums. That's you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Everywhere. Send us an SMS, jumponwealthy.com.au, and there's an SMS number and you can SMS and a real person will answer any question you have and be there to hold your hand throughout the entire investment journey. Anything you else want to closing thoughts? No, it's good to be back, right? Yeah. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The break was nice, but it's good to be back. I'm glad to have the green wall and a few other bits and pieces. Today, we've got to install some more props. Um, and look, we, forward, we really do look forward to pushing out more episodes and hearing from you all. Thanks, guys. Thanks Catch for listening later. and watching.